You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. One welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us for baseball talk on the radio as we get you through another winter weekend in northeast Ohio, complete with the cold weather and some snow and ice too, but uh, hopefully some warmer weather right around the corner. Good show lined up for you today as we will spend most of it visiting with Sam McDowell, one of the great pitchers of his era back in the 60s and early 70s for the Cleveland franchise and also a great life story as well. He has a book out called The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell, and he will dive deep into what's contained in that book, which will be available to the general public early next month. This reminder, though, first, if you want to check out the new website, cleeguardians.com that's where you can pick up all your ticket information tickets to every game this season on sale now also team store hours are there the team store down at progressive field offering all the very latest in cleveland guardians fan wear and uh, it's good stuff if you haven't been down there yet check it out as you get ready for a new era in cleveland baseball But as advertised, when we come back after the break, we'll hear from Sam McDowell and a couple of tidbits from his career. If you're not familiar, or maybe it's been a long time, maybe you forget just how dominant he was. Here's what happened on the field for Sam McDowell with the Indians, a six-time All-Star from 65 through 1971, pitched 11 seasons in an Indians at the time uniform. Five times he was the American League strikeout leader. His final totals with Cleveland in 11 seasons. He won 122 games. He struck out a batter in inning and his ERA was under three. Perhaps the best season, 1965. And again, bear in mind, he was only 22 years of age. His ERA, 2.18, 325 strikeouts finished 17 and 11 that year and you look at the all-time franchise pitching statistics Sam McDowell is second in strikeouts only to the great Bob Feller so some great stuff on the field for Sam McDowell but a challenge off the field we'll get to all that and his new book when we return after this on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network we got a long way to go 
Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Senor Lopez gave the orders, and from south of the border, Aviva came to take the batting crown. Roger Maris, what a pity, gone off to Kansas City. But Rocky was knocking him out all over American League towns. I'm talking baseball, Lemon Win and Tito, Cleveland baseball, Dobie Calavito. The Indians had Rosen on their side. John Romano and Tion kicking high. I'm talking baseball, baseball and the tribe. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you at Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And we are joined now by one of uh, the legendary uh, Cleveland Indians at the time, back in uh, the 60s and early 70s, Sudden Sam McDowell. And uh, we have Sam on uh, to talk about a a book that will be released soon in, in the next couple of weeks called The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell. And uh, Sam, first off, thanks a lot for, for taking um, some time to join us today. And, and uh, I really appreciate it to talk about the book and, and your career a little bit. No problem at all. Glad to be here. Uh, you talked a little bit about it um, before we started recording, but uh, the impetus for the book at, at this stage of your life, uh, you probably, I imagine, could have, could have written something much earlier than this. But uh, what made this the, the right time to, to get something out there about uh, some of the good things about your career and, and some of the many struggles, too. Well, to be quite frank with you, I've had uh, numerous opportunities. I've had quite a few sports writers contact me over the years, everyone from Russ Snyder to Jim Murray out in Los Angeles uh, to even to the point where I uh, kind of requested some of the writers, too, that might be interested. But The bottom line was they all kind of wanted a sensationalized type of a uh, book, and that really wasn't in my ballywick. I I wanted to uh, write a book that might possibly help somebody, but if not, I really wasn't interested because, one, I don't need the publicity, nor did I want it. And uh, and, uh, so finally, when Marty Gitlin contacted me, I kind of fell him out to see what kind of writer he was. I checked his background and what have you. And then we both agreed that it was going to be a book that would help somebody. Uh, it would be a fun book. It would be enjoyable. Uh, 
I mean, as you've already read it, you already know there's an awful lot of secrets in there that people didn't know that went on in my career with the Indians or with some of the other teams and so on. But at the same time, I didn't try and sensationalize it. I kind of just tried to lay myself open and lay it out there for everybody to know and understand. And, and it's really fascinating. And for I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with your career, but if they're not, six-time All-Star back in the 60s and, and early 70s and a five-time strikeout king, more than 300 strikeouts in one of those seasons, and, and certainly fans in, in this day and age familiar with the strikeout by Cleveland Indians pitchers. But it almost seems like uh, two separate lives for you, the, the professional sports career and, and some of the battles that you had, and now this second career where you have been able to help so many people. And how... How satisfied have you been with, with how things have transpired more so in recent years maybe than, than you were when, when you were at the top of a profession like professional baseball? Well, I kind of enjoyed myself more with my second career only because of the alcoholism problem that I had, which kind of kept me in a fog most of my days during my baseball career. Uh, and it's only after my own recovery and going back to school and learning all about the disease plus counseling and, and how to help others uh, that I kind of started to appreciate, you know, what all I did, what I didn't do, and what's going on right now. Uh, it's kind of a, uh, a kind of a fun thing to be back in the real world. And you're obviously working for uh, the baseball assistance team. So, so you've stayed close and, and you follow it. Uh, it's amazing when reading through the book, the staff that you were a part of uh, with the Indians back in the '60s had some of the best arms in the game. A, a great rotation. And you look at things in, in the recent vintage of the franchise, and and it's really good pitching. That's the foundation again. Um, how closely do you follow what's going on now and, and the status of the game, especially pitching-wise for a franchise that you pitched for for quite some time? Well, actually, I kind of stay close and follow the Indians quite a bit, uh, not just because I pitch for them, but uh, spending you know, 12 or 13 years there, I made some unbelievable good friends, some families, uh, great relationships, uh, and they've just continued on throughout the years. Uh, but uh, in my particular case, I really don't know, um, other than... Uh, what is happening throughout the commissioner's office and so on. Uh, much of the other teams, when you talk about major teams and what they're doing, I did follow individuals because as you know, for 40 years, I was a counselor that worked with uh, baseball players or family members, uh, children uh, or front office or minor leaguers. That was my job for close to 40 years. And to be quite frank with you, I never expected to be back in baseball. I just assumed I burned too many bridges. And that was it until I received that phone call from Bowie Kuhn, uh, the commissioner, who wanted me to put together. He had heard about my recovery and heard about me going back to school and becoming a therapist. 
And he asked me to design a program to help with a drug problem in the 80s in, in baseball. And I told him I would, and I sent it back to him. And obviously, it had to deal with the alcohol problem, too, uh, which was uh, equally important. But he said, thank you, but no thank you. He was too involved. Then the president of the Texas Rangers, who picked me up and said, yeah, we want your program. And to be quite frank with you, a funny story is that I tried, as at the time, I was just beginning my own practice working with teenagers in trouble. And I didn't have that much money. I was still trying to sell life insurance on the side. And uh, so I tried to talk them out because I didn't have the money to waste flying down to Texas and talk to them and so on. And even he laughed about it because once we got together and I found out, his wife was a counselor for 35 years working with in the field of drug and alcohol abuse, knew very well the program I had designed. He uh, not only had his degree in law, but he had his degrees in psychology. So the whole family knew well what I was doing. And so I finally went got together with the Texas Rangers. And while I was with the Texas Rangers, uh, as you know, in baseball, we have a network that's better than anything the CIA ever could come up with. And with all the successes we had, because I worked both with the drug and alcohol uh, addiction problem, but also in sports psychology with helping the players advance their careers and enhance them. And the word started to spread that I wasn't a fake, that I was for real and players were really getting help. So I started to get players from other teams starting to ask for the program, and in particular the Toronto Blue Jays. And so for about 8 to 12 years, I worked with both Texas and Toronto. Uh, in fact, uh, I even got two World Series rings from the Toronto Blue, Day, Blue Jays, even though I wasn't a player or a coach, but because they felt that I helped the whole team immensely, especially with the World Series. And then that's when I started to get the calls about uh, players uh, that were in the process of committing suicide. And I got the call from Joe Garagiola, uh, who at the time was head of a program, a small program they were trying to start under Peter Uberoff, the commissioner, to help former players that were in trouble. And so he asked me if I was licensed, if I could help out and knew what to do. And I said, I was, I was trained. So the very first player he gave me, I was able to talk to him and to calm him down uh, and to uh, get him the proper help once I was able to stabilize him. And by the way, today he's an ordained minister working with children in trouble. And there's no confidentiality involved here because he's written a book about it and explains it but his name was Bernie Carbo. And the six months later, I received a call from the commissioner's office again with a second player that was uh, uh, in trouble and wanted some help because he was attempting to commit suicide because he'd just been told he had terminal cancer. And so I helped stabilize him and work with him and very happy to say that he had a very peaceful seven years uh, uh, of continuous life before the cancer took him away. 
And that's when I was told that you're working for uh, the commissioner's program. And I said, I can't, you know, I'm, I've got too much on my plate as it is. So I told them I would uh, volunteer for one year, help them out. And I would help train anybody that they wanted to do what I do. And they would pick it and they said, no, you're working for us. So basically I volunteered that one year and I've been with that now for uh, 35 years uh, after the initial uh, eight years with Texas and Toronto. So that's what I've been doing. And then when I retired a couple of years ago, they asked me to be on the board of directors to continue working uh, with some crisis situations. And I have agreed to do that. So I'm still heavily involved uh, uh, with players, individuals, and even some teams. We're visiting with Sam McDowell, who's releasing a book soon uh, in a couple of weeks, The Saga of Sudden Sam. And uh, Sam, you mentioned the counseling part of it, and, and I thought it was interesting. You just said about um, maybe trying to step away and you would you would train someone, but could there be any better training to do what you're doing now or, or have done with the past decades than what you went through as a, as a young player uh, making your way through the minor leagues and then getting that call to the big leagues so early and, and trying to, to figure things out along the way? Well, I, 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 in a way, I'm very glad you brought that up because uh, factually, we do have an individual that took over for me now uh, with that when I retired. Uh, even though it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. And it wound up, uh, after severe searches everywhere, it wound up to be my son, who is a psychologist who played in the minor leagues, uh, who was a player for the Pittsburgh Pirate Organization, who is a full psychologist uh, and uh, has his own practice in the Pittsburgh area. And he's taken over for me and because of his training is so expansive, he's been able to enhance the program far beyond anything I could ever dream of. We'll take a break right there, but stay with us. We will have much more with Sam McDowell and talking about his new book, The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell. That's coming your way next on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. What a career. isn't over yet. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And what a treat this week to be joined by Sam McDowell, one of the great pitchers of his era back in the 60s and early 70s. But as we have been talking about over the first half of the show and will continue in the second half of the show, his new book, The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell, it is so much more than what happened on the field because that's just a fraction of his life story. And uh, we've talked about his battle with alcoholism during his playing days. And I asked him, when you look at how, how much is available to players today, not only coaching-wise, but mental skills-wise and everything that you need to cope with what can be a highly demanding and pressure-packed job, he said if that had been the case back when he was pitching, maybe, just maybe, things might have been different. It would have totally changed my career and probably kept me in my career for another 10 years. As you probably know, I was thrown out of baseball in 1975 by the Pittsburgh Pirates with the situation that was there with the Pirates. And there wasn't anybody around. One, didn't understand alcoholism back in those days. In fact, to be quite frank with you, uh, fortunately, I had a mentor that was a psychiatrist and the initial drug and alcohol specialist worldwide. It was my mentor that helped me get the training and education that I needed because there wasn't any even for that. Uh, remember, back in the olden days, they cleaned up to during the 60s, they thought uh, addiction was some sort of a weakness or a mental illness or, you know, a character flaw. And it was only throughout research in the 60s and 70s that they found out it was a bona fide disease in which you're born with it. Uh, nothing changes. And it's up to a therapist to help you totally change brain patterns and, and belief systems and so on. But in the other area, as to having mental health counselors and sports psychologists on teams, that would have been a tremendous help to me because, as you know in the book, from 1962 on to 64. I struggled and had no idea what was going on, where I was, what I was doing. And I couldn't get any help, no matter how many times I went to my manager or went to the pitching coach. What my problem was, was psychological and emotional. Uh, it wasn't physical. I had the perfect windup. I had four of the greatest pitches, they said, in the history of baseball with a fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. And occasionally a spitball. But uh, I remember the very first day that I signed and they flew me to Cleveland immediately to have Mel Harder at that time, the pitching coach, take a look at me for three days and send word down to the minor leagues where I was going to start to then uh, Gassaway, the, the pitching coach and manager of the D-ball team that I was with, as to what I would need. And he said, He's got the greatest four pitches in mechanics. There's no need to fool with those. All he needs to do is to pitch. We had to learn how to pitch, uh, how to use those pitches. And there was nobody around to teach me. I remember Bertie Tevich a couple times when I went to him, my manager, and said, look, you're calling my pitches. You're calling everything I do. Nothing's working out. Can you explain why? What am I supposed to be doing? What, what are you trying? And he wouldn't answer me. He kept saying all along was, you just stick with me, son, and I'll make you a star. And that's all I got until 1964 in spring training. I was sent to the minor leagues 
in spring training, which was a change. And Bernie Tebbets and uh, Gay Paul told me nothing's working. Then I might as well go back to the minor leagues. And that's when I told them and I made up my mind that I had to sink or swim. I had to figure out a way that I could pitch. I told them, don't bring me up to the major leagues. Leave me there. I said, because with Bernie calling all my pitches, nothing's working. And yet it's my fault when I get clobbered out there on the mound. And they both got upset and said, don't be like that, Sam, you know, and so on. And so they sent me to the minor leagues. And as you know from my record, nobody in the history of the minor league systems has ever had a pitching record like I had in 64. I was 8-0. I was 7-0 when Gabe called me the first time and said, Sam, we want you up here in the big leagues to pitch against the Angels in Los Angeles tomorrow. And I said, no. I said, is Bertie going to call my pitches? And he said, don't be like that, Sam. We're trying to help you. I said, no, you're not. I said, I need somebody to tell me what to do, how to do it, and why we're doing it to help me in pitching. And he said, don't be like that. I'll bury you in the minor leagues. And he hung up. Well, then I go on to Hawaii, and I pitch a one-hitter there with 18 strikeouts. And the next day, he called me. He says, okay, have it your way. You come up to the major leagues. Bertie will not call your pitches. And from that day forward, I was a pitcher. I do have to admit, though, that Alvin Dark, the following year when Bertie got fired, he got a pitching coach, Jack Sanford, to come in. And as you may know, in Jack Sanford's background, he struggled in the minor leagues for like 10 years before he came to the big leagues. And he sat down with me in spring training along with Alvin Dark and said, we're not going to call your pitches. What we're going to do is we're going to have Jack sit on the bench with you and he'll go over the mistakes you made the previous uh, inning and then look forward to the, uh, the coming up and coming inning. And we'll go from there on how we can help you. And are you agreeable? Then I said, I love it. That's the greatest idea I ever heard of. And so from that point on is when I became a pitcher. Sam, I wanted to go back. Uh, you mentioned coming in and the Indians talking about the four pitches and, and how they were, you know, the, that you can win with that. But this was before the draft. And, and nowadays, k- kids are drafted. They have to go to the team that drafts them, and then there's the signing process and all that. But it was completely different for you growing up in Pittsburgh as a high school kid. How'd you end up with the Indians? Explain, uh, explain how that happened. Actually, it was money. <laughs> Real simple. Uh, I hate to simplify it that much, but throughout my entire ho- uh, high school career, I was thinking forward to college and wanting to be a doctor. And I pitched batting practice, as you know, with the Pirates when I was 14 and 15 years old because I was uh, publicized that much uh, pitching in high school. I was a number one pitcher on my high school baseball team when I was a freshman. And I was the only freshman ever allowed to be on the senior team. But to make a long story short, uh, all 16 teams uh, were brought in. They made a bid, and there was no such thing as a draft. Uh, whoever signed who, that was it. Uh, and they even got rid of that uh, bonus uh, rule, like with Sandy Koufax, where the first couple of years, if they signed him to a bonus, a certain amount, then he had to stay in the major leagues from the get-go. 
Well, that wasn't in effect when I played. So each team came in, they offered whatever. My parents didn't want anybody to be upset. So they never wanted a, uh, any, any, a negotiating war. They just said, make one offer. That's it. them will pick what he wants. And the minute they gave me a $75,000 offer, that did it. Because it was $25,000 higher than the closest team, other teams offer. Now, remember, in Pittsburgh, we graduated late. So all the team's bonus money had already been spent. In fact, in the Pittsburgh case, which uh, normally, you know, a hometown boy would sign for, they had already spent all their bonus money on Bob Bailey, the third baseman. They gave him $108,000 as a third baseman, and they didn't have very much left in their coffers. And they admitted that to me. You know, when they gave me $75,000 cash, I said, okay, that's it. Let's go. When you look back, and we're visiting with Sam McDowell, and a book coming out in a couple of weeks, The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise and Fall and Redemption of of Sam McDowell. And uh, Sam, you look back, and and obviously during your your major league career, there were numerous challenges for you. And you put together two seasons stand out, and and you may think some other ones were better, but numbers-wise, the the 325 strikeout season in 65, and then the 20 and 12 season in 1970, and maybe there were others that that were equally as good. How when were you able to to really look back and appreciate those? Um, maybe as much as as someone else would, because it sounded like during that time it was hard for you to 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 really. Uh, I don't know if appreciate is the right word, but maybe it didn't mean as much to you as, as it would have down the road after your recovery. Well, I think you used the proper word, uh, wasn't able to appreciate it. And to be quite frank with you, I didn't appreciate it until I went through my own recovery and really started to, you might see the light and uh, become objective in everything that occurred. Uh, and then periodically, to be quite frank with you, the fans would remind me over and over and over because the fans, uh, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't uh, care either way. They, you know, once a fan, always a fan. And uh, with all the different invitations that I got uh, long after my baseball career, and they started to bring up about you did this, you did that, I saw this, I saw that. That was a tremendous help to me in actually realizing and appreciating what I actually did. And I remember uh, uh, a sports writer uh, for uh, one of the Washington, D.C. newspapers, who we became very good friends, had written an article stating that he thought that maybe, irrespective of my alcoholism, that I should have made the Hall of Fame, which I disagree with, but. I sincerely appreciated his thoughts and his ideas. But I remember the banquet in Washington, D.C. I sat down with him for a good hour and a half. And he went through all the things that I had done. And this was only, I'm going to say, two or three years uh, after my recovery. Uh, And he went through everything that I did almost game by game. Uh, because he was a real fan, even though he he wrote for the Washington newspapers and the Senators were, of course, his his team. But for some reason, 
he took me under his wing as uh, he really liked me as a pitcher and as a person. And uh, it was very helpful because he knew every aspect of my career. He just helped me appreciate it even more. In closing, uh, your second career, so to speak, and maybe that's not fair saying it that way, but uh, you mentioned the, the Texas Rangers being such a key and that they brought you in to talk to some of their younger players. That day that, that you spoke to them, and, and not knowing if, if any of those players might come forward and seek help that you were offering, what was that like for you, not, not knowing if, if what you were doing was going to be accepted in, in the game of baseball? And, and eventually it has been, but, but that particular day, what was that like, um, not knowing if, if it was something that would work? Well, I, uh, and as you, you did hit it on the head, and that's extremely important when you say not knowing if it would work. I knew baseball. I knew baseball players. And because of my education and training, I now knew the insides of a professional athlete and so on. And I knew that if I went there with a concept or the idea that listen to me on every word on what I say and you follow it and everything will be okay with you, I knew that that was BS. It wasn't going to work because I knew from my own experience that there's all kind of people coming in and talking with the teams, talking with individual baseball players, talking with baseball player agents, and the agents talking with the players and so on, where that individual is filled with a bunch of garbage, perhaps a little bit helpful, but some or most of it garbage, just to get a piece of that ball player. I knew that I wasn't going to be held in extreme uh, esteem unless I could prove to them what I was saying. And so I designed my talk knowing how a player thinks especially during a game, knowing how the alcohol and the drugs affect the brain, affect the self-confidence, affect the emotions of a player. I challenged them. And what I told them was, I don't expect them to believe anything I say. I don't want them to believe anything I say. I want them to prove it to themselves because this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This, And I gave them a list of th 10 things that were going to happen in a game, especially if the night before they went out and drank too much. I'm not saying they were alcoholics, or they would be. I didn't say either, anything like that. I just told them from overindulging what the effect is going to be on you when you're out there in the middle of that game. And I said, now prove it to yourself. See if I'm right. And then I said, with those with drugs, and I mentioned the four or five drugs, starting with marijuana and went down the line. And I told them the different effects that that would have on them in the game, that they could prove it to themselves. And I said, that's the only way that you're going to help yourself is if you prove it to yourself, because I know that with me speaking to you, it's not going to have any effect on you. I know that. And I said, the only one that's going to change you is you. And the only way you're going to change is that you're going to prove to yourself what this is doing to you because you'll be able to feel it. You'll be able to understand it. You'll be able to uh, rationalize if you wish, but you will also be able to know the facts and you won't be able to hide from the feelings that are going on inside you emotionally and psychologically because of the overindulgence. That's all I said. 
And uh, as you know from the book, 11 players came out of the stands. When I told them not to, I told them to wait until they meet me at the hotel privately because I knew management was watching. But they didn't care. They came out of the stands. And a couple of them wanted me to help them in the area of sports psychology. And a couple of them wanted me to help them with the idea that maybe they were smoking uh, dope when they shouldn't be. Uh, maybe they were taking amphetamines thinking it would help them make them stronger or faster or better and so on. And I set up different times at the hotel to sit down with them and to talk with them. And I left and I went home and I figured that was it. It's over with. But lo and behold, the players, they went to management and they asked management to bring me back. And that's how I got hired. All right. Great stuff. Well, hopefully you have a chance to, to pick it up. It's called The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell. And Sam, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much. Enjoyed talking to you. Boy, what a pleasure to talk with Sam McDowell. And once again, his book available on Amazon.com and uh, March 9th available store-wide as well. The Saga of Sudden Sam, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of Sam McDowell. I read it in about two days. And uh, it was uh, really uplifting in, in a lot of ways and uh, whew, some vulnerability there on the part of uh, Sam McDowell to, to really uh, put forth some brutal honesty on what was happening during the course of his major league career. Stay tuned. We'll have our final segment after this short break on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. I'm Flo from Progressive. If you love the sports like me, you get annoyed with your team or player. So Progressive's going to help take your mind off your team or that player for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they lost that thing recently, think about Progressive letting you compare our direct rates side-by-side -side with competitors to easily find the lowest option. Don't worry, your sports ball team or player will get them next time. Hope this distraction from Progressive about easily comparing rates was helpful to not think about that last game or match or season. I mean, even though I love sports ball. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. And as always, these reminders, you can catch our show on the Guardians Radio Network. Each Saturday, it usually hits around uh, 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, depending on where you're tuned in. Also, go to cleeguardians.com. All the archived editions are there, or you can download it wherever you download your favorite podcasts as it comes down in podcast form, usually by Sunday. As always, thanks to Brian Motze for all of his help in putting together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.